figure out where you're going to get the money to buy the deal and where the revenue is going to come. Are you just buying it for yield? Or are you buying it because you're trying to refi it out? Or you're buying it to flip it? But really figure out the sources and uses. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. What's it say? On God, good quality. How you doing, On God? Doing well, Joe. How are you? I am doing well and looking forward to our conversation. So a little bit about On God. He's a real estate investor for four years has built a portfolio of 60 single-family homes, 12 multifamily units, and a self-storage facility in three years. <laughs> We're going to dig into that. I'm very curious how you're able to do that. Congratulations, first off. And secondly, based in New York City, New York, where do you live in New York City? I'm actually in Greenwich Village. I went to NYU, so I kind of stayed in the area. Ah, the ni- oh, the very nice area of New York City. All right. Well, yeah, with that being said, here. it's nice. <laughs> you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. I started in real estate, I guess you would say about five and a half, six years ago. I started when I was 19. I got my real estate license. I went to NYU. I went to the business school there, Stern. I know we're kind of in the headlines <laughs> the last couple of days. What happened to NYU? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, the class president of the grade below me just got put away for insider trading at 23. Ah, busted. Um, okay. <laughs> which is pretty young, but I hope I didn't give it any more PR. But anyways, I was a student there and I kind of ran into someone who was doing rental brokerage. He told me he was making a lot of money doing it. So I said, let me get my license. Let me see what this is about. So I got my license and I realized actually I actually have no business. I have no clients. I have no owners I can represent. But then I ended up coming up with the idea that I could basically start a student run brokerage for college students looking to get apartments because at NYU and other colleges in the city, about 20,000 students move off campus every year. So that's a lot of rental deals that happen. And most of them had a broker involved and the broker made about a month commission to two months commission, which with your average rents being around 4,000 bucks is a pretty good chunk of change. So anyways, I started a business that kind of tapped in that market. At first it was just me. And then I hired 10 of my friends to go run around show apartments. When did you have that business at 19 or 20? At 19 and 20, I basically ran it all throughout college. Okay. Like what year were you in college when you started the business? I was a sophomore. Okay. I think that was back in like 15. Anyhow, so I ran that and we were doing really well. And I was making six figures a summer, three wow. months. Wow. <laughs> like I told you, the numbers are pretty good. We would do 100 deals a summer because most of the kids would move during the summer. And the average commission is between three and 6,000 bucks. And because I kind of ran the team, 
I would get splits off of all the friends that were working for me. So <laughs> I would make money on my own deals and their deals. How many friends and, did you have working for you as a sophomore in college? Uh, the biggest we ever got was 10, 10 okay. or 11. And they were all licensed. You have to be a licensed by the state of New York to represent someone in a real estate transaction. So it's pretty easy to get a license. I would kind of coach them through it, get them on the online class. And that's how we were doing it. And how did you advertise? Actually, I created a website called offcampusapartments.nyc. It's still up there. If you ever Google student housing New York City, our website still comes up like number one or two. And then I also made a partnership with NYU directly. So if you were to call them at the time and ask for a broker, they would, they would send you to, to my company. Did you get the majority of your leads through that? About 50-50. In the beginning, a majority of them were referrals from the school. And then as our website got SEO, you know, like as it got web presence, we got a lot from just the webpage and then we do Facebook ads. And it was a good time because brokers were doing really well back then. Now, the margins have compressed a lot because most of the listings are available online through different websites like Street Easy and stuff. What did you have to do in order to get that partnership with the school? I know you were a student at the time, but did you have to do anything else? <laughs> well, so it, came, it just came down to going to the guy's office and just sitting there for like a couple hours and until he took with the meeting. And he was a nice guy. I think the guy who ran the student affairs at the time. So it wasn't as hard as you would think. <laughs> Had someone else approached him about this idea before? A few people had, but most of them were not students. They were older people. And it's pretty frustrating running around with college kids and showing them apartments. So a lot of people would start businesses like this and then quit after a year. Uh-huh. But being that I was 19 and, or 20 and just very ambitious, you know, I took it in stride. So I kind of enjoyed it. And what aspects would some people find frustrating working with college students trying to find apartments? Oh, New York renting is crazy. It was crazy then. It's still crazy now. You have to get a whole dossier of documents like tax returns, bank statements, photo ID, employment letters, pay stubs. You have to assemble that. And because kids aren't working themselves, you have to ask their parents for this information. And kids are pretty disorganized. So you basically end up having like, if you're doing a two bedroom or three bedroom deal, you have three kids, three sets of parents <laughs> to assemble all these documents and they're kind of running around like a chicken without their head cut off. And it's, <laughs> it's a lot of coordination. And a lot of times these deals don't even go through. So unless you're really passionate about it, it could get pretty frustrating. All right. So that's this business. Then what happened? Like I said, I was doing pretty well. I was making some money and I was living very inexpensively because I was 19 or 20. I wasn't spending any money. So I was saving it. And I realized the money in real estate is not on the brokerage side, not saying, I mean, there's some of the brokers that a lot of make, make a lot of money, but I always wanted to be on the ownership side. And through a mutual friend, I met someone who lived in Philadelphia and he turned me on to Camden, New Jersey. He said this area is getting about two and a half billion dollars of government money put in it in the next five, 10 years. It used to be the highest crime area in the country, but there's real signs of change. So when it started, it was me and two best friends. We went there for a day, saw some property and realized the numbers really do work. Okay. So what'd you do? So we bought our first house. Like I said, it was me and two partners, not because I needed the money from them. It was just, I wanted to share the experience with. How, uh, much, how, how much did you have in your bank account after the brokerage stuff before you bought your first house? Between two and 350,000 bucks. Good for uh, you. Man. That's incredible. Is that incredible? Do you think that's incredible? I don't it's know. Tough, I mean, it's I, tough to look at it from your own perspective. I know, but. Living in New York, you see people that spend that much money on one week vacation, the people on like <laughs> funds, especially the startup guys. Like, I read stories about guys that are 24, 25, raising a hundred million bucks. I'm like, what am I doing? Just, well, that's different. They're that. raising that much money. You earn this money yourself. 
there's a difference there. No, I'm very appreciative. I, I'd say it's more impressive what you did than raising $100 million. So, All right, <laughs> well, so that, Camden, New Jersey, you bought your first house, two partners. What information should we talk about regarding that transaction? Sure, I can run you through it. So we bought it on an auction website, totally blind, had no idea what we were doing. We ended up getting a pretty damn good deal. We bought it for, I think, 33000 put about 12000 into it. So we're in forty-five. And we had the property management company running it and they were kind of the wrong company. So it sat vacant for four or five months and my partners got frustrated. So I ended up buying them out. So I bought them out and eventually it was just me in a single family house. And we ended up getting a tenant or I ended up getting a tenant and it was, uh, I think I rented for fourteen fifty a month. And we're all in 45,000 bucks at this point, right? So that was the first deal and the rents came in every month. It was great. How did you and your partner structure the deal? Well, when I had the partners, it was basically a third, a third, a third. We each put in about 15,000 bucks. And when I bought them out, it it was into an LLC. So that was the first deal. You have 60 single family homes, 12 multifamily units and a self-storage facility. So what happened? (laughs) Yeah, that was in 16 was when I bought it. 17 is when I bought the partners out. In 17, I bought about five houses because I had the equity, right? The couple hundred grand. So I was able to buy these houses in cash, fix them up and rent them out. And after I built a portfolio about five, I realized I really can go to a lender. That was the hardest part was finding a lender because lenders don't want to lend to LLCs when you're buying houses for 50K. I mean, it's very hard to get the financing, but I found a lender that would do a blanket refi. So they basically tied the five properties into one loan and fully cashed me out at 75 LTV. Okay. And then what'd you do with it? I basically got the money I started with plus a little bit more back out after the cash out refi at the end of 17. And then in 18, I kind of got my feet wet. I learned the different players in the market. I aligned myself with a really good property management company I trusted and aligned myself with some good brokers that were kind of the guys who are doing the most deals in that market. So I was able to pick up 30 single family houses, actually not 30 single, probably 25. And then I bought a five unit building Mm -hmm. in 2018. Mm Mm-hmm. So how are you running the numbers and evaluating if these homes are worthy of purchase and not something that you're just going to sink money into? Sure. My business is buying distressed real estate, right? As a lot of people are. So you basically need to figure out what this thing is going to be worth once you fix it up, what the bank is going to appraise it at. The numbers work. This is a high yield market. You could go on the MLS and buy like 10 and 11 caps all day long, but I like to buy like deals where I get unlevered returns of like 16, 17%. And the only way to do that is to buy them distressed. So we're talking REOs, estate sales, people that need to sell them quickly, like off-market deals. Those are the types of deals I buy. And on those deals, as long as you know what they'll comp out for on the back end, you know what you can buy it for and you can guesstimate what you can fix it for, you have a pretty good formula. So you're renting them out though, right? I rent all of them out. Yeah, I've sold a handful for strategic reasons, but the majority of my business is the Burmont. Buy, rehab it, rent it, and then refi on the back with a commercial blanket loan. We're tying all the assets together, pulling it out. What are some strategic reasons why you sold some of them? I realized that I don't want to do construction jobs more than 25000 bucks. Reason being, I live about two hours away from the market, and you're not going to get an ACE contractor that's willing to work in Camden. Most of the contractors in that area want to work in the suburbs where they can do retail jobs. They don't really want to work for investors. So if I'm going to be hiring a suboptimal contractor who's going to overcharge me because I have a New York cell phone number (laughs) and he thinks everyone in New York is a bunch of money, I'm just going to get eaten alive, right? 
So I would rather sell that deal off and make a little bit of money because I bought it well to some guy who's going to do the work himself or as crews on payroll. Mm-hmm. And how do you manage that process, even if it's less than $25,000 construction job? Less than 25000 my property manager has a handful of handymen that do a lot of work for us that can take those jobs on. And we're talking patch and paint, new flooring, new kitchens, and some painting and a little bit of drywalling. It's not major structural or mechanical stuff. So right now you have 60 single family homes? Correct. What do you think the 60 single family homes are worth? They're worth probably around 80 a door, so about $4.8 million. That's great. And about how much cash flow do you receive on a monthly basis as a result of having them? Right now, I've kind of grown pretty quickly, which has been good, but it's hurt you in the beginning as far as cash flow. So I'm buying properties. I buy about five a month. So I have a backlog of about 18 houses that aren't rented right now that are undergoing minor construction that are going to be on the market. But as far as my underwriting goes, I make about 300 bucks a door in cash flow after it's fully financed. Okay. So the 60 would be about 18,000 bucks a month in free cash flow. And you're amortizing your loan. So that's another kicker to it. What lender do you use? I use two local community banks, but I'm kind of now in the process where I'm speaking to some of the national commercial mortgage lenders. There's a few that have entered the space in the single family rental aggregation space. I'm speaking to them. And who are they? The rental aggregation? So you have Corvest. Corvest was spun out of Colony Capital and that's owned by SoftBank. They're pretty big. Blackstone has one called Finance of America. There's another one called Rock Capital. Goldman Sachs has one called Genesis Capital. There's like three or four of them. I'm sure there's more that I'm missing. But What, what type of terms are you looking for with a group like that? Rights have went down a little bit, which is nice, but we're looking at 5.5 to 6.5 on a 7-1 arm loan that seven years fixed rate and then adjusts every year after that on a 10-year or 30-year term that amortizes over 30 years. Cool. And you have a self-storage facility. Correct. Tell us about that. It sounds a little glamorous, like self-storage facilities, <laughs> <these> big facilities. <laughs> to be honest with you, this one is about 20 garages. Each of these garages is 20 by 10. So it's about 4,000 square feet of storage. And then there's about 1,000 square foot office that's leased to a single tenant on the other side of the lot. And how much did you buy that for? I got it a really good deal. I bought it for 120000 What's it worth today? It's tough to say. There's no world comps, but I'm projecting a net operating income on that facility about 40000 Plus, we have a lot that we can build some more units on. So once I finish building them out, we have to go to the zoning board to get approvals to build out some more units. But I want to get the net operating income up to about fifty k. So if you want to back that into like... What, yeah, I just did. Forty. Oh, so that's around the cap rate, you'd say, about a 10 to 12 cap? 10 to 12 cap because it's not a core buy for anyone. So they're going to want a real nice yield if they were to buy it. So you're uh, talking about what, 400000 Yeah, 50000 in NOI, 12 cap, $416,000 valuation. Yeah. And I didn't really spend any money on it. To build the units is probably going to cost 70, 80K. How did you find that deal? That deal was actually on the MLS, huh. but it was on the MLS for like a day. And then my whole strategy is buying deals directly from the listing broker especially on stuff that they don't want to sell. Most of the listing brokers, they don't want to sell properties in Camden because they're low on like a nominal value amount where they're not going to make much commission off it. If you go direct to them where they're getting the full 6%, they're going to put your deal first and they're going to get your deal done. So are most of your deals marketed deals and then you 
just reach out directly to the listing broker and make offers? I would say 15% of the stuff I buy is MLS listed. I have relationships with some REO companies, like asset managers. So I get a lot of deal flow through that. And then I have a direct to consumer line called Cash for Camden, where we do direct marketing. Right. Deal flow through that. What percent of your deals do you get through the REO companies? About 50%. That's a lot. Okay. And I won't ask you specifics about them just because you it's get pretty, deals. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty paramount to the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I won't. But I, I want to ask you about conceptually. How did you get introduced to them or how did you choose to introduce yourself to them? I got kind of lucky in terms of an attorney that I had been introduced to, to help me on another matter. They were a client of him. So he put us in touch. So that's how I got that direct relationship. Let's say that relationship, poof, went away. If you were trying to replicate this, how would you go about replicating this? Something I'm trying to do now, I'm really trying to build systems and processes. That's my goal for 2020 is really get a lot of the stuff automated. But what I would do is look at the deeds. I'm obsessed with the county clerk's office. I look at all the deeds and all the mortgages. That's how I get all my data. So I would look at the deeds and I would look at who's selling a lot of stuff. If there's one entity that's selling a lot of stuff, they probably are an REO entity. Figure out who's behind it. Look at the addresses on the deeds and work your hardest to try to get in touch with them. Love it. What's a deal you lost money on? There's one deal I lost money on, and that was because I got scanned by a contractor. That's kind of when I put that rule in place that I'm not going to do jobs over 25K. <laughs> it's pretty terrible. He really, um, he really did a number on you where you, you made it a policy moving forward not to ever work with 25K. <laughs> yeah, it was a tough one. This was in 2017 and 2018, I think it was. But I did my job right. My job is buying distressed real estate cheap. So I bought the house for 20K. I could have sold it the day of closing for probably 30, 35 but I didn't. I wanted to fix it up. So I hired a contractor who had gray hair, who really talked a big game, said his family's been doing construction for three generations. And I really trusted him. So we had a really trusting relationship and speak every day. And he started trying to add value to me. He'd drive around and say, Hey, do you see this house? So I really trusted this guy. And I would give him his draws by bank wire whenever he asked for them. And it started out good. He did some good work. He'd send me pictures and I would wire the money right away. And all of a sudden, like coming around Christmas time, he starts saying, you know what? This job is costing me way more. You need to front load some of the draws because the roof needed way more than he needed. And I know nothing about construction. And by this time, I had a very good relationship with this guy. So I basically paid him the entire draws for the project, 45,000 bucks. And the project was only about 40% done. And that's when things really got wrong. He basically... (laughs) walked off the job. And if you were to Google him, you'd figure out this guy's been sued a bunch of times. He went to jail. I had actually done that. I actually read that. And he explained it away. He's like, you know what? Don't trust what you see. There's a lot more to that story. I'm a good guy. And I trusted him, but I learned my lesson. So I bought it for 20. I spent 45,000 with this contractor. Then I had to hire another contractor. It turns out all the work he did, he never pulled permits for. It's like the 20,000 bucks worth of work he did. We had to rip it all out. Oh. It cost me another 40000 or forty five k, right? So I bought it for twenty. I'm in 90000 for the rehab. So we're in about one ten, And I list it at one fifteen or one seventeen, something yeah. like that. So I think I lost about 10000 between holding costs, commissions, and all that stuff. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Have a business plan. Figure out what your niche is, what your strategy is, and figure out where you're going to get the money to buy the deal and where the revenue is going to come are you just buying it for yield? Or are you buying it because you're trying to refi it out? Or are you buying it to flip it? But really figure out the sources and uses. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? 
Yeah, sure. All right, let's do it. First quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at thereifoundation.libson.com. What's the best ever book you've recently read? I read it about two years ago. It's The E-Myth. really changed the way I think. What's something from that book that you've incorporated into your business? Really focusing on trying to build the business and systems and processes. It's really hard for me. <laughs> I'm not like a systems thinker, mm-hmm. but I think that's really the only way to build the lasting organization is to have processes and employees and a team. Best ever deal you've done? Most of the best deals have been this year, but I'm superstitious. I don't like to talk about things until I'm done with them. So I'd have to say probably the first deal. I think I did pretty well on that one. Best ever way you like to give back? My goal is once the portfolio is fully kind of stabilized is to give 10% back to local charities, 10% of net operating income. I haven't started that because I'm cash strapped as we're growing this, Mm -hmm. but eventually that's my goal is to really give 10% back to the community. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? Sure. You could check us out online. The company is Cooper Square Acquisitions, Cooper ACQ, or you could reach out to me directly at ag at cooper, C-O-O-P-E-R, ACQ, like acquisitions.com. There are a lot of impressive things about what you've done, and I won't summarize all of them, but I will say what you did as a college student and what you built, where you saw the need, and then, I mean, six figures in, I mean, a third of a million dollars earned as a result of the brokerage business as a college student, just inspirational uh, for anyone. And then what you've done to build the portfolio and the smart ways you've gone about finding deals and getting deal flow and then obviously executing because anyone can be a spreadsheet millionaire, but it's all about the execution. So just very, very impressive. Really appreciate you being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and looking forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Joe. I really appreciate the time and I hope to speak to you soon as well. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at thereifoundation.libson.com. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com.